This is episode number 157 with Jim Quick. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Jim Quick is the founder of Quick Learning and a widely recognized world expert in speed reading, memory improvement, brain performance, and accelerated learning. For over two decades, he has served as the brain coach to students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and educators, and as an advisor to many of the world's leading CEOs and celebrities. After a childhood brain injury left him learning challenged, he created strategies to help dramatically enhance his mental performance. He has since dedicated his life to helping others unleash their true genius and brain power to learn anything faster and live a life of greater power, prosperity, productivity, and peace of mind. He is regularly featured in media including Forbes, HuffPost, Fast Company, Inc., and CNBC, as well as online videos totaling in excess of 100 million views. That is amazing. He is the host of the acclaimed Quick Brain podcast, which is consistently the number one training show on iTunes. And quicklearning.com's online courses are used by students in over 180 countries. That is amazing. And in today's episode, We chat about his story from being the boy with the broken brain to where he is today and how he got to doing the work that he now does, how you can rebuild your brain. He did it. It is possible. 10 ways to unlock your brain potential, the 10 superfood brain foods, how to speed read and the common things that block speed reading, his epic morning routine, the power of cold therapy, plus so much more. And for everything that Jim and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 157. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this review comes from C. Kate and it's titled So Much Love. 
and she said, I absolutely love Melissa's show. She's always providing valuable information and insights in such a supporting, loving way with incredibly valuable guests. I love listening to her podcast as I get ready in the morning to start my day off in the best mindset. Thank you so much, Kate. That is such a beautiful review. I am so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes right now, press pause, jump on over to iTunes, and then come back here once you're done. And without further ado, let's bring on this beautiful, intelligent human being, Jim Quick. Welcome to the show, Jim. I'm so excited for today's conversation. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? That's a great question, Melissa. Actually, I am on an intermittent fast, so the answer is just just water. I had no no food or anything else until lunchtime. Mm, lots of people on the show do the intermittent fasting that I've had on, so yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah. So I absolutely love your story. And I was telling you before we jumped on that I first discovered you through Transcendence, that documentary series, which is just amazing. But can you share your story with us and how you went from the boy with the broken brain to where you are today doing the work that you now do? First, I just want to say thank you for everyone who's listening to this. I believe majority of success is showing up and having that habit of just showing up and most people don't show up. So I appreciate everyone showing up today to be part of this conversation. When people see me on stage or maybe on video, they see me do these mental feats where I'll have a hundred people stand up and I'll have them introduce themselves to the rest of the audience and I'll memorize all their names or maybe they'll give me a hundred digit number or a hundred random words and I'll memorize them forwards or backwards. Or maybe some people know I read a book a day. I always tell people I don't do these things to impress you. I do this more to express to you what's really possible because the truth is every single person who's listening to us could do that and a lot more. It's just we weren't taught. If anything, we were taught a lie that somehow our potential, our intelligence, our memory is somehow fixed, like our like our shoe size. And what we found is we've discovered more about the human brain more in the past 10 years than the previous thousand years combined. And what we found is we're grossly underestimating our own potential. So it's really, really exciting. And I know this from personal experience because I grew up with a severe brain injury. At the age of five, I had a head trauma, multiple brain injuries as a kid, and I had learning disabilities, and I was put in special classes, and I couldn't focus. I had a hard time memorizing things. Teachers would have to repeat themselves four, five, six times, and then I would pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I remember at the age of nine, uh, one of my teachers pointed to me and said, that's the boy with the broken brain. And that really, that really stuck with me. You know, Parents have to be very careful with their external words because an adult's external words become a child's internal words. And that became my internal talk. Every time I did badly in school or wasn't picked for a team in, in gym class, it would always be, I would always say to myself, oh, it's because I have the broken brain. And that became my, my limitation was myself. And I struggled all through school. And then 
one day I just hit a wall. I was a freshman in college, 18 years old, and I couldn't keep up with my studies. I was ready to quit and um, ended up in the hospital because I just couldn't keep up. I was not eating or sleeping. I was studying all night, living in the library. And you know that's when I woke up. I just thought there has to be a better way. And it made me study brain science, made me study adult learning theory, made me study what makes somebody intelligent, speed reading, ancient mnemonic memory devices people used back in ancient Greece. And I got really fascinated with this thing. Like I wanted to solve this riddle of how my brain works so I could work my brain better. It's funny because everyone says your brain is this incredible supercomputer, but it's not user-friendly and it doesn't come with an owner's manual. And so I learned all these things and quickly my, my grades improved for the very first time, but also my life improved after that. And I couldn't help but help other people. And the reason why you and I are having this conversation today is because one of those people that I first helped, she was a freshman in college. She read 30 books in 30 days. Can you imagine that, Melissa? Like going online, picking 30 books, you know, whether it's on leadership or team building or health and wellness, you know, anything that was important to you and reading 30 books in 30 days. I found out that her motivation was, you know, I, I know how she did it because I taught her, but the reason she did it was because her mother was dying of terminal cancer and was only given two months to live, 60 days. And the books she was reading were books on health and wellness, spirituality, alternative medicine, energy, because she was determined to save her mother's life, which she ended up doing so. And I realized at that moment that if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. And I've dedicated my whole life, over 25 years, teaching this, and I'm on a mission to show people really what they are capable of when they harness the the true power of their brain. Wow. Okay. So you say that no matter what the circumstances, we can actually rebuild our brain. So how do we do that? So that this is this is that's the magic question, right? I mean, we we live in the age right now, everyone listening to this, we're not it's not like it was hundreds of years ago where people were paid for their brute strength. Now it's your brain strength, right? It's not your muscle power, it's your mind power. And knowledge is not only power, knowledge is profit. And I don't just mean financial profit, that's obvious. The faster you can learn, the faster you can earn. But I mean all the treasures of your life, your health, your career, your relationships. You know, there's this growing divide between those who have, not not just have and have nots, but those who know and those who don't know. And that's why I feel like investing and understanding how your brain works is so important. But whoever's listening to this right now, regardless of your age, your background, your career, your level of education, your financial situation, your gender, your personal history, your IQ, none of that matters. What matters is what you do each day. And we found that one third of your brain's potential is predetermined by genetics and biology. That's what the latest research is saying, one third. But that means two thirds is in your control, which is your lifestyle, which are your strategies, which are your habits, which is everything from you know the food you eat to the thoughts that you think to the exercises that you do. So what we do is we put together a plan for everybody in terms of the best foods to eat. So there are 10 things actually, Melissa, that will move the needle to make you faster and smarter. So we could go through those 10 things right now if you like. Yes, let's do it. Go for it. Okay. So I know people listen to this in different places. Sometimes they're driving or sometimes they're working out on the treadmill or sometimes they're they're just, you know, 
cooking a meal. So as best people could do, take notes to this, that would make a difference. And what I would ask you to do is when you're listening to this, one of the the brain hacks, if you will, to learn any subject or skill faster is learn with the intention of teaching somebody else. You know, have you ever noticed that if you had to give a talk on something that you learned or a book that you read or a podcast that you listened to, if you had to give a presentation on that subject the following week, you would learn it better, right? You would have better focus. You would take better notes. You would ask better questions. You would have this original, you know, attention for them information because you'd make it very personal. And so what I'm going to ask people to do right now is think, I'm going to share with you 10 ways to unlock what I call your quick brain, your quick brain, a brain that is faster, smarter, and just overall better. It's the best version of your mind. What I'd like everyone to do before I teach you these things is that imagine somebody you wish was listening to this right now. Imagine that person that you care about that really should, you know, could use better focus, could use a better memory, who's a little overloaded with information, too much to learn, too little time. They're, they're distracted. They, they really have to adjust their mindset. So think about that person and learn what I'm about to share with you with the intention of teaching them. Because when you, when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. So I would, I would ask people to do that because what you put in is what you're going to get out of this. So the first thing that's going to help you to unlock your quick brain is a good diet, right? Now, this is obvious, but I'll say it, right? What you eat matters, especially for your gray matter, especially for your brain matter, if you will. So there are 10 superfoods. These are your genius foods that are um, neuroprotective, that are good for your focus and your memory. So one of those is avocados. So avocados are really good for your brain. What I'd like to do, actually, when everyone's listening to this, we, we could do a fun exercise. I'm going to teach you these how to memorize these 10 foods. So next time you're at the grocery store or at the farmer's market, you could pick up these 10 without writing them down. I don't know, Melissa, have you ever gone, gone to the store just to pick up one thing and you come back with like a whole bag or two bags of things, <laughs> except for that one thing you went there to pick up? Yeah. We're all guilty of that. And so we're going to do a fun game is we're going to take these things and put it on your body. So I'm going to give you... 10 foods. And what you're going to do is you're going to put them on your body and you're just going to imagine you're placing these foods on your body. So next time you're at the store, you can just imagine your body and just all the foods disappear. So on the top of your head, I want you to imagine avocados, avocados all over the top of your head. So imagine you're making some guacamole on the top of your head. Avocados are very good for your brain. And you're like, Jim, that's so childish. And you think about who are the fastest learners? Children, right? Children learn so quickly. And so what I want you to do is pretend you're eight years old and you're putting avocados all over the top of your head. The second place on your body is your nose. So I want everyone to touch their nose right now. Nose. And coming out of your nose is the second brain food, which are blueberries. Blueberries. I want you to imagine your blueberries, I call them brain berries, that they're coming out of your nose. They're very good for your brain. Blueberries, I want you to smell what it smells like, feel what that would feel like. Just imagine that, blueberries. And then the third place is your mouth. So the first place is the top of your head, the second place your nose, going down your face, the third place is your mouth. And I want you to imagine you have a big piece of broccoli in your mouth. You're chewing a big piece of broccoli, or maybe you have a big piece of broccoli between your teeth. Just imagine what that would feel like. And that's really good for your brain. Broccoli is very good for your brain. The fourth place are your ears. So I want you just to squeeze, touch your ears right now. That's the fourth place. And I want you to imagine the fourth food that's good for your brain is olive oil. Olive oil. 
very neuroprotective. Olive oil. I'll mention your, I don't know, maybe you're cleaning your ears with olive oil. Not that you would ever do that, but it makes it memorable. That's the fourth brain food. Number five is going to be your larynx, which is your throat, your throat. So that's number five. And the fifth food that's been proven to be good for your brain, if you're allowed to have it, some people have uh, more restrictions, are eggs. Eggs are, are good for your brain. So I want you to imagine instead of an Adam's apple, maybe you have an egg that's there. Now, again, if you don't have eggs in your diet, there's certain things that you certainly that's not something you have to add to your diet, but studies show that eggs are, are good for your memory. So eggs on your throat, that's number five. So now we're only halfway through the five foods. So what's on the top of your head? You remember what's on everyone? And this is great because anyone who's listening could say it out loud. What's on the top of your head? What food is there? Avocado. Good. And then the second place going down your face is your nose. And what do you, what fruit, what fruit is coming out of your nose? <laughs> blueberries, blueberries, blueberries. And um, your mouth, you have this in your teeth, this vegetable, broccoli, the broccoli. And then you're cleaning your ears with what? Olive oil. And then in your throat area, you have the eggs, right? Yes. So we're halfway there. Your memory is really great. The sixth place are your shoulders. So I want everyone to touch your shoulders. And I want you to imagine, look at your shoulders, and you're going to see green leafy vegetables. Green leafy vegetables. So your collard greens, you have your spinach, you have your kale. I want you to just look at your sh shoulders and imagine you have like, I don't know, shoulder pads made out of kale. Something, something fun. See, this is the thing. Most people don't remember what they hear, but they remember what they see. It's just like remembering names. A lot of people have trouble remembering people's names, but they remember the face. You remember what you see, you forget sometimes what you hear. So I want you to imagine, since you remember what you see, imagine kale and spinach on your shoulders. That's six. The seventh place is your collar, your collarbone, your collarbone. So everyone touch your collarbone. And the seventh place, the seventh food that's been shown to help with your cognitive ability is salmon, salmon and sardines. Now, again, some people have restrictions on their diet, and that's absolutely great. So you should eat what's good for you because everyone is is, is bio-individual. But if, you're, if that's something that allows you to be able to do it, just imagine a necklace made out of wild salmon, a necklace made out of wild salmon. And that's, that's seven. Imagine what that would smell like, <laughs> a necklace made out of salmon and sardines. The eighth place are your fingers. So I want everyone to wiggle your fingers, wiggle your fingers. And the eighth superfood, the genius food that's good for your brain is turmeric, turmeric. Now, some people, you know what turmeric is, right? It's that, that golden powder, if you will, it's a spice, and it gets everywhere. I want you to imagine your fingers are covered in turmeric. For me, I make this golden milk most mornings. I use some fresh almond milk and I put turmeric there. I put a little pepper because it helps you to absorb it. Put a little bit of honey and from, from, that's my preference. But the turmeric is very anti-inflammatory and it's very good for lowering inflammation in your body, which includes your brain. So I would say number eight is imagine turmeric all over your finger, fingers. And then finally, nine and 10, the ninth place is your belly button your belly button. So I want you to go down your body, your belly button, touch your belly button. And the ninth food for your brain are walnuts. Walnuts are good for your brain. So are almonds. 
walnuts. And I want you to just imagine a walnut, walnuts coming out of your belly button and that's your snack. And that's a, and it makes you like think that's gross. Remember, we don't remember ordinary things. We remember things that touch us emotionally. And so the key to a long-term memory is this information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory information combined with emotion. When you add emotion to something, it stores better, it encodes better in our memory. So many of you, you could hear a song that could take you back to when you're a teenager because that emotion is what anchored that memory. Some of you, it's maybe not a song, but it's a food or it's a fragrance that could take you back to when you're a child because information alone is forgettable, but information combined with emotion helps it turned it into a long-term memory. So me adding the emotion of something that might be gross or icky, like you know, eating walnuts out of your belly button. Now notice also a walnut looks like a brain, right? Nature is it's it's a kind of mnemonic, it has a mnemonic device, a memory device of its own that it tells you what it's good for. Sometimes food looks like the organ it's serving. So a brain, you know, a walnut looks like a brain. Uh, a carrot, when you cut a carrot and you look at the the carrot from the side, it looks like an eye, right? It's very good for, for your eye health. If you cut a tomato, it has four chambers. It looks like the human heart, right? So it, it's, it's tomatoes are great for your heart. And so there's a sign of nature, a signature, a sign of nature. You know, maybe it's, it's very, it's very telling, or at least if it's, it's, it's a good memory aid. So walnuts look like brains and they're coming out of your belly button. And finally, the 10th place on your body going down is your seat, your yoga seat, your sitting, you know, your rear end. And what I want you to remember is the 10th food for your, your super brain, if you will, is dark chocolate, dark chocolate. And then people could picture whatever you're picturing. I'm not going to give you any suggestions, but dark chocolate on your seat. <laughs> now, these are the 10 super foods for your brain. And I want you to just now imagine you're in the store. What are, what are the 10 foods? Does, does, can we go through it right now? Yes. Number one on the top of your head is what? Avocados. Good. Number two out of your nose is what? Blueberries. Great. And everybody who's listening to this could do this with us. Number three out of your mouth and your teeth, you have? Broccoli. Great. Number four, out of your ears, you're cleaning it with? Olive oil. Number five, on your throat, you have? Eggs. Number six, on your shoulders, you're balancing? Leafy green vegetables. Right. All the green leafy vegetables, spinach and kale and everything. On seven, your collar, you have a necklace made out of? Salmon and sardines. (laughs) Number eight, on your fingers, it's covered in? Turmeric. Yeah, all the powder on your on your on your fingers, turmeric. Number n- nine, out of your belly button, you have what? Walnuts. Finally, and number ten on your seat, you remember? Of course, dark chocolate. Of course, and it's <laughs> of course it's raw and it's organic and it doesn't have added sugars. But dark chocolate is it's good for your mood, and what's good for your mood is generally good for your mind. So those are the ten foods, and just notice. You know, you could remember it forwards, and a lot of you will be able to remember it backwards, going from dark chocolate to your belly button with the walnuts to you the turmeric on your fingers and so on. Because your memory, the thing is, I always thought it was interesting that school taught you 
like what to learn but and what to think, but they didn't always show you how to learn and how to think. And I think one of the most important subjects they could have taught us back in school is remembering. You know, it should have been maybe the fourth R in school. They teach writing, reading, arithmetic. But what about remembering? Socrates says there is no learning without remembering. And but most of us, our memories are overloaded. You know, we'll read a page in a book and just forget what we just read, or you know, we'll walk into a room and just forget why we're there, or we'll take a shower and we can't remember if we shampooed our hair. We can't remember a conversation or a pin number, a passcode, a hotel room number, you know, somebody's name. So these are little brain hacks that we teach, you know, in our podcast and our show to show people really what they're capable of. So the first thing, again, to unlock your your quick brain is good brain diet. So those are the 10 superfoods. The second thing that everyone ever want to remember is what's good for your brain. The second key besides food is killing ants. Killing ants is actually clinically proven to help you to boost your brain power. What I mean by that, before anyone gets upset about me saying that, ANTS stands for Automatic Negative Thoughts. Automatic Negative Thoughts. And I got that term from Dr. Daniel Amen, who wrote the book Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And he's done done a lot of brain scans, over 100,000 in the U.S., looking at people's brains to be able to heal and help them. So how do you get rid of negative thoughts? Well, first of all, what are these negative thoughts? When we say to ourselves, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm so forgetful, or I'm not smart enough, or whatever those negative thoughts are, the problem with it is this, your brain is like a supercomputer, and your self-talk is a program it will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, for instance, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And that's why you want to avoid the negative self-talk because right now, as you're listening to this, you have hundreds of millions of brain cells firing off just listening to this conversation. If you knew how powerful your mind truly was, you wouldn't say or think anything you didn't want to be true. Now, let me, let me say it again. If you knew how powerful your mind truly was, you wouldn't say or think something you didn't want to be true. Now. That's not to say that having one negative thought is going to ruin your life any more than eating that donut is going to ruin your life, but it's the habit, you know, when they're automatic because they're these, they're these unconscious programs that our mind will run. And so what I say to people when they say, oh, Jim, I just don't have a good memory or I'm not smart enough or I've never been able to do this or whatever it is, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you argue for your limits, you get to keep them. They're yours. So you want to be very conscious of your self-talk. And there are little things you could do changing your language that has a big effect. So if you say, I'm not good at remembering names, if you catch yourself saying that, just add a, a simple word at the end, like yet. You know, I'm not good at remembering names yet. And that changes the communication to your mind. And also there are other tools you could use. You know, some people practice hypnosis. Some people practice tapping, right? EFT. So there's certain things, you know, modalities you could use to be able to change your negative thoughts. But the first place starts be- with being aware that you have them. So that's the second thing. First thing to change your brain for the better is good brain foods. Second thing is killing ants, automatic negative thoughts. The third key that I want everyone to remember to have your best brain is exercise. 
And I mean physical exercise because your brain primarily is there to control your movement. And it's not just, there's this phrase that says, as your body moves, your brain grooves. That's anything that, that's going to be good for your heart, like exercise, is going to be good for your head because that means more blood flow. That means more oxygen. So as I'm going through these 10 things, what I like everybody to do is they're all common sense, but they're rarely all common practice. So use this as a self analysis tool for you and maybe rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10, how well you're doing in this area. So going back to foods, how good is your diet on a scale of zero to 10? Just write that down. And then in terms of negative thoughts, automatic negative thoughts, ants, on a scale of zero to 10, how, how, how positive are they? And then finally, with exercise, how much are you moving each day on a scale of zero to 10? Because they say that sitting is the new smoking. And I don't know if I would say, you know, go that far, but we get the idea, the principle behind it. A lot of people are sitting in front of computers all day, right? And they're sitting for like long periods of times, hours, maybe eight hours a day, just sitting. And that's not good for your body. Even when we teach our program, the reason why our podcast is only 15, 20 minutes long is sometimes people, they don't have the attention span. They call it the Pomodoro technique. The Pomodoro technique is basically saying if you want to get the maximum return in terms of your productivity and performance when you're learning something or studying or doing work, do it in 25-minute increments because after 25 minutes, there's a sharp decline of your focus and your attention. So you work for 25 minutes, set your alarm, and then you take a five-minute break. And then one of the things you do during your break is you move, so exercise. Number four, the fourth key, if the first one is good brain diet, second is killing ants, third is exercise, the fourth key is brain nutrients. So what does that mean? Sometimes we are traveling and we're eating fast food and maybe we're not eating the best food ever. And so if you're lacking certain brain nutrients, you're not going to get the same effect. So I could teach somebody how to read faster. I could teach them how to learn another language, do all the things that we teach to our students. We have students in over 180 countries. But if you're lacking certain nutrients, like fatty acids, like DHA, which is a very important brain nutrient, then you're not going to get the most out of the method. And the best thing I would recommend people doing is going to a functional medicine doctor and having just a simple test, a nutrient profile done to see if you're lacking in certain areas. So that's four, brain nutrients. Number five, and we'll go through the rest really quickly, is a positive peer group. What we found is what's really good for your brain is not just your biological networks or your neurological networks, it's your social networks. Because we all know this in the area of personal development, we've all heard this before, but just a reminder what's true is who you spend time with is who you become. And whether or not somebody smokes, it has little to do with their biology and more to do with whether or not their friends, friends smoke. Whether or not how good our diet is, is dependent on who we spend time with because we tend to adopt the same habits and values as the people around us. You know, they say that if you spend time with nine broke people, you have to be careful because you're going to be the 10th, right? And so you want to be very careful because as human beings, we have these mirror neurons as part of our nervous system. We're constantly imitating people around us. And so what, how does that affect our brain? It affects it in a really big way because again, are you with people that are sapping your energy, you know, that are negative, that are critical, 
criticizing you or are you around a positive peer group that's uplifting you, that's challenging you, that's holding you accountable, that's kind, that's teaching you things, right? And so a positive peer group is number five for your brain. Now that's, we're halfway there. Number six, what we found is really good for your brain health is a clean environment, a clean environment, because we all know this. When you, I'm sure, Melissa, when you clean your desktop or your laptop or your, or your office, don't you have clarity of thought? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And same with my house. You know, if my house is clean and tidy, I just feel, yeah, it's a cluttered space is a cluttered mind. Oh, I love that so much. It's, it's so true because your external world is a reflection of your internal world. And so when you clean your environment, and that's number six, being in a clean environment, you have clarity of thought also. And I would also say as number six is just clean environment is just, you know, it's also clean air, clean water, because all of those affect we just did a podcast episode on the supervillains, the four invisible supervillains to your brain. And it includes things like the air that we're breathing. It includes things like EMF, like electromagnetic fields, which we've done multiple episodes on this because you don't know what all the electricity around you, like that, that wasn't how you know, our ancestors grew up and our brain is very resilient, but it's also very susceptible. And you know, I, I read recently that it's is scary that children, 90% of children sleep with their phones underneath their pillows. And, you know, we don't know what that's the effect that's having on the human brain. So the invisible supervillains are things like air, the quality of the air that you're breathing. It's because your oxygen is so important. Your brain is only 2% of your body weight, but it requires 20% of the nutrients that come in. So clean air, the EMF, um, the other things that, that, that are invisible are, are things like light. You know, we talk a lot about a light and there's certain like fluorescent lights, like, like a lot of what's in schools and offices is not good. The frequency is not good for your, your brain. And so it can make you very fatigued. And they take rats, they put them under certain lights and they just, it has negative adverse effects. And, but the reason why they're on all these places, cause they're inexpensive. So, you know, full spectrum lighting obviously is, is great, indirect sunlight. And then the fourth invisible supervillain is water. It's not like invisible, but it's clear, but that affects, you know, the quality of water that you're having also. But a clean environment is very important. That's number six. And then number seven, what's good for your brain. And remember, you're rating yourself a scale of zero to 10. Seventh one is a big one. It's, I think, a big epidemic for a lot of people. It's sleep, lack of sleep you know, or getting great sleep. So on a scale of zero to 10, how's the quality of your sleep, the quantity and the quality of your sleep. And the three reasons I want to bring up for your brain health specifically is when you sleep, that's where you consolidate short to long-term memory. So if you're having long-term memory issues, part of it, it could be the kind of contribution of lack of sleep. So sleep is very important. That's where you consolidate short, you form your long-term memories. Second reason why you want to sleep is because that's where you clean out plaque. Science is telling us right now, research is saying that the buildup of plaque leads to these brain aging challenges like dementia. And so when you sleep, that's where you actually clear out the plaque out of your brain. So you, it requires you to get that sleep. And then finally, another reason that is rarely talked about in terms of why, in terms of performance, why you want to sleep is everyone knows when you don't get a good night's sleep. The next morning, you can't make decisions. You're very forgetful. You have very bad focus, low mental energy. But another thing is the reason why you want to sleep is so you get, you could dream. 
and you're like, Jim, what is that? Why is that important? Well, you know, if you, if we're spending all this time, let's say, what is it? 20 years of our life sleeping, probably about a good solid five years is spent in a dream state. That's a significant amount of time. Why are dream states important? It's because when you're learning all day and you're working all day on your business or in school, your brain doesn't shut off at night. If anything, your brain is more active at night while you're sleeping. And a lot of inventions and creations, things that are in culture, literature, came from dream states. So for example, Mary Shelley created Frankenstein in her dream. Paul McCartney came out with the song Yesterday in his dream. A chemist dreamt of the periodic table, the, the framework of the periodic table. Elias Howes created the sewing machine, invented the sewing machine in his dream. So my question for everyone listening is, what are you dreaming about late at night? And so, But it requires you to get that deep sleep, that REM sleep. But the problem is a lot of people wake up and they forget their dreams, right? And so you know, while you, we did a very, very popular episodes on six different ways, strategies on how to remember, how to remember those dreams when you first wake up, but you need to be able to sleep first. So good sleep health and habits. So sticking to a good sleep schedule, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, even if it's on the weekends, it's very important. You know, another thing is no caffeine past 2 p.m. And because, you know, if you want to optimize your sleep, lighting plays a huge role. So having blackout curtains that even we've science has shown that even a little bit of ambient light in your bedroom, if they put actually like a little light behind somebody's kneecaps, you know, not even their eyes, but you have these photoreceptors on your body could wake people up. So blackout curtains, keeping it cold on the cold side in your room is is very also important sound also plays a big role also as well not being on devices late at night because the blue light from your laptop or your your phones literally stops the production of melatonin which helps you to be able to relax at night so that's why it's important to get off your technical your yours your screens at nighttime so we want to optimize your sleep that's number seven and then finally, eight, nine, and 10, the eighth key to optimizing your brain health is brain protection, meaning that, you know, I've had a number of head traumas and brain injuries. Protect your brain. Avoid extreme sports. Wear a helmet when you're riding your bicycle or just careful of impact to your brain. Number nine is new learnings. New learnings. And everybody knows that. If you're listening to this right now, you you're probably getting a 10 out of 10 on this area because you're learning right now. But the reason why is because what's most exciting in the field of neuroscience is this thing called neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. Neurogenesis says that we could create new brain cells to the day we die. And that wasn't what was believed before. We didn't believe that it was possible to create. We thought that once a baby is born, that's as many brain cells as they'll ever have. And so we know you could create new brain cells as we get older. That's neurogenesis. Genesis meaning the birth, neuro meaning brain. The other thing is neuroplasticity is we could take those brain cells and make new connections because our brain in a positive way is like plastic. It's very malleable. And so the key though that promotes neurogenesis and neuroplasticity is novelty. Novelty. Just like if you, with novelty and nutrition, 
So just like if you want to build your muscles, you have to give it novelty, right? You have to work it out, give it stimulus, and then you give it nu nutrition to be able to feed that muscle. Same thing with your mental muscles. You give it novelty and it grows stronger. Now, there was a study done, I was on the cover of Time magazine about these nuns. This community of women were living well into their 80s, 90 and above. And they wanted to find out, you know, why? What was the secret to their longevity? And they found out half of it had to do with their emotional faith and gratitude, right? Because that obviously has a has an impact on your long-term health. But the other half of it had to do was they were lifelong learners. They were dedicated, lifelong learners. And because of it, it added not only years to their life, but life to their years. So it's, it's absolutely remarkable. So learn every day. For me, I think it's important for everybody to be able to read 30 to 45 minutes a day because reading is to the mind what exercise is to your body. Reading is to your mind as exercises for your body. And I think it's one of the best exercises you could do. Plus, if you read about 45 minutes a day, that'll get you through one book a week. The average book has about 64,000 64, words in the book. The average person reads about 200 words per minute. That equals 320 minutes to get through one book on average. 320 minutes sounds like a lot, but when you divide that by seven days in a week, it comes out to be about 45 minutes a day without even using any of the speed reading techniques we teach. 45 minutes a day for the average reader will give you one book a week, which is 52 books a year. I mean, that's a huge, most people, the average person reads about two books a year. And this is the biggest advantage that if anyone walks away with anything out of this conversation, what I would say is leaders are readers. That just like this young woman read 30 books in 30 days and saved her mom's life because she became an expert you know, in this area, is if somebody has decades of experience and they put it into a book and you can sit down in a day or two or a few days and read that book, you could download decades into days. And that's the biggest advantage I can imagine, all that wisdom you know, at our fingertips. So I would encourage everyone to schedule 30, 45 minutes of reading a day. So that's new learnings. That's number nine. And finally, number 10, is stress management. On a scale of zero to 10, how stressed are you? Because you could do all of these other things, but if you're stressed, chronic stress shrinks your brain, right? Chronic stress, when you're in fight or flight, it's okay for maybe physical activity, but it's not good if you need to study. It's not good if you have to give a presentation. It's not good if you need to have a meeting with somebody or remember their name, for instance, because when you're stressed, you create cortisol, adrenaline, and it shuts down different parts of your, your thinking ability. And so on a scale of zero to 10, what's your stress level? And then do you have coping mechanisms to be able to lower your stress, massage, meditation, and so on? And so those are the 10 keys for unlocking what I call your quick brain. Again, a good brain diet. And by the way, I think most people remember some of those, those foods still, right? What's on your head? You have the, the avocados, right? What's coming out of your nose? You have the- Blueberries. Right. The good brain diet, killing ants is number two. Number three is exercise. Number four are brain nutrients, filling in for whatever food you're not getting. Number five is a positive peer group because people could do all that and be around energy vampires and that'll affect your brain, right? Number six is, is a clean environment. You could be doing all of this and being in a very messy environment, 
that is, you know, that's affecting the the quality of the oxygen or something like that. Um, number seven, you can do all this, but not be getting good night's sleep, and your it's your brain's not going to show up how it needs to show up. After sleep, you have brain protection. Wear a helmet. Number nine is new learnings, and finally, number ten is stress management. And again, it's common sense, but it's not common sense is not always common practice. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. I love those. And I was giving myself a little score throughout that. And I was getting some nines and tens, which I'm really, really, Maybe. I was high-fiving myself. So apart from doing all of that, what are some of your speed reading tips and tricks? Because I know you work with people like Richard Branson and Elon Musk, and you work with actors and celebrities to help them speed read scripts and to memorize scripts. So how can we learn to speed read? Okay. So I can give a couple of brain hacks to be able to read faster. And so what happens is now these are tips just because in, in a few minutes, it's hard to go into a training, right? Because a training usually takes a few weeks and that's what we do online, you know, like 21, 30 days, every single day training somebody. You can make some really impressive gains just employing one or two of the things I'm going to talk about right now. So there are, there are five obstacles to effective reading, five things that get in the way of you becoming a better reader. Now there's two parts to reading. There's reading speed and then there's reading comprehension. And it doesn't make sense to have the speed without the comprehension because traditional speed reading is often associated with skimming or skipping words or getting the gist of what you read. Now, I train world leaders, literally presidents of countries. I train you know, officers at the biggest companies in the world. I met some of the top doctors. You don't want your doctor to get the gist of what she's reading. <laughs> Mm. Right. So it makes sense to really understand it. So there are five things that get in the way of your speed or comprehension or both. Number one is lack of education. So just to be clear, we're not born with the ability to read, right? We weren't born and just crawled out to the waiting room and started reading magazines, right? It's not something we were naturally, it's something we have to learn. And we learn them through classes. But when's the last time, how old were you, Melissa, the last time you took a class called reading? Mm. How old were you? I think, you know, you learn when you're six. Yes. Like when we're six, five, six, seven. Mm. And that's the challenge is, you know, what we have to read now is so much more difficult and the demand and, and the amount of information is so much more than, but we're still reading like a six-year-old because that's how, that's the last time we had training. So the first thing to be able to build is just get proper training because it's not something, your reading ability is not a reflection of your intelligence. There's no such thing as a good or bad reader. There's just good reading habits and bad reading habits. And most of us learn poor reading habits when we're children. So that's the first obstacle. The second obstacle to effective reading speed and comprehension is lack of focus. Because when somebody's reading and they can't concentrate, that's going to affect their reading ability, right? When their mind wanders or get easily distracted. Now, here's the reason why we get distracted while we read is because when you read, everyone listening to this, you're reading one word at a time. Metaphorically, we start starving our own brains meaning that if I talk this slowly, 
your brain will naturally what? Wander. It will naturally get distracted. It will naturally start thinking about other things. It will naturally start falling asleep. Aren't those the same things that happen when you read? Because you're feeding your brain too slowly. And if you don't give your brain the stimulus it needs, it'll seek entertainment elsewhere in the form of distractions. So to put it another way, the reason why people lack focus while they're reading is because they're reading too slow. Because it's kind of like riding a bicycle really slow. Can you ride a bicycle really, really slow? No, you'll start wobbling and you'll fall off, right? And same thing with reading. If you're driving, for instance, if you're driving really slow in your neighborhood, you could be, where's your focus? It's not on driving and it's certainly not on what's in front of you. Where's your focus? It's listen to the radio, you're drinking your coffee, you're texting, you're thinking about the dry cleaning, you're singing a song, you're talking to somebody you're carpooling with. You could be doing five different things when you're going slowly. But let's say you're racing cars, right? Taking hairpin turns, going as fast as you can. Do you have more or less focus than the person going slow? Oh my gosh, you've got to be so focused. Exactly. You're completely focused on what's in front of you and you're completely focused on the act of driving because the speed gives you the focus and the focus gives you the comprehension. So the biggest myth out there when it comes to reading is that if I ask you to read faster, you would say your comprehension will go down. But in actuality, and again, we, we, have, we've, we have so much data on this because we have so many students around the world, is the faster you read, the fast, better your comprehension because the better your focus. Because the speed gives you the focus and the focus gives you the comprehension and understanding. So that's the second obstacle is lack of focus. And then finally, the third obstacle that you have to fix in order to be a better reader is something called sub-vocalization. Subvocalization. Now, what does it mean? Sub, like submarine, means below or inner. Vocal means speech. It's your inner speech. Have you ever noticed that when you're reading something to yourself, you hear that inner voice inside your head reading along with you? Mm. You hear that voice that's reading. Hopefully, it's your own voice. It's not like somebody else's voice inside there. The reason why it's a challenge is if you have to say all the words out loud or inside your head in order to understand what you're reading, your reading speed is limited to your talking speed, not your thinking speed. So again, if you're saying all the words in order to understand it, you can only read as fast as you could speak. That's why the average reading speed is about 200 to 250 words per minute, because that's the average speaking speed. And here's the question I have for everyone listening. Do you have to pronounce words like New York City in order to understand what that is? Do you have to say a word like computer to understand what a computer is? And the true answer is no, because you've seen those words thousands and tens of thousands of times. Just like when you're driving and you see a stop sign or you see these, you don't say to these because 95% of the words you see, you've seen before, and they're words you know by sight, you don't have to pronounce them by sound. And so we found that the best readers are the ones that don't take the time to pronounce the words, they just experience the words. All right, so sub-vocalization gets in the way of us reading better. And then finally, the last obstacle to effective reading, and I'll give you a, a, a reading hack, but it helps to know what the obstacles are, is regression. 
regression. This is the act of backskipping. Have you ever found yourself going back and rereading words? Uh, unconsciously, sometimes you read the whole line by accident again. And so that time is, is wasted time. And so you don't want to be able to do that. Now, one of the ways to overcome these obstacles, especially three of them, the subvocalization is really what takes the time. But the fix obstacle one, which is lack of education, number two, which is lack of focus, and number four, backskipping. One of the reading hacks or tips I could offer everyone right now is to use a visual pacer while you read. A visual pacer. So what's a visual pacer? It's using your finger, a highlighter, a mouse on a computer, a pen, a pencil. When you're underlining the words, you will actually read 25 to 50% faster with better focus. Meaning that if you use your finger and just while you're reading your book, your favorite book that's been sitting maybe by your bedside, you know, for an embarrassingly long period of time, you know, because all the books they sit on your, I mean, how many people who are listening to this have books on your shelf you haven't read yet? Mm -hmm. It becomes shelf help, not self-help, right? <laughs> it's just sitting there on, on, on the shelf. If you use your finger while you read and just underline the words without skipping any words, you'll read 25, 50% faster. Because here, here's, here's why this is important. The average person has to process information probably four or five hours a day. I mean, you think about emails and blogs and business plans and books and newspapers and magazines, you know, four or five hours a day just processing the written word. If you could just double your reading speed and save two hours a day, you know, two hours a day, what's two hours a day over the course of a year? It's through 730 hours. Let's say you just save one hour a day. If you just save one hour a day over the course of a year, it's 365 hours. How many 40-hour work weeks is that? Mm. That's about nine. Nine 40-hour work weeks, you'll save just saving one hour a day. That's two months of productivity you get back. Most people would love to have an extra two weeks of vacation. Imagine having two months just by saving an hour a day on something ubiquitous like reading, right? something we're doing all the time anyway, but we've never been trained on how to do it effectively. And so using your finger while you read or a pen or a highlighter or something will boost your reading speed 25, 50%. And my th challenge to everybody who's listening to this is this, is don't take my word for this. Like what I would recommend everyone do is pick up a book, time yourself on your phone to read for 60 seconds, and then count the number of lines you read in, read in 60 seconds. And then pick up where you left off, underlining, just using your finger, underlining the words for 60 seconds, and then count the number of lines that second number for most people will be 25, 50% greater. Now, the reason why, because as adults, we want to know why this works is a number of reasons. First of all, your eyes are attracted to motion. That if something ran across the room, you wouldn't pay attention to anything else but what moves because that's your survival. You know, as a hunter gatherer, if you're in a bush and you're hunting lunch, like maybe there's a rabbit or maybe there's a carrot, depending on what your diet is, if a bush next to you moves, you have to look at what moves because number one, it could be lunch or number two, you could be lunch, right? So you have to, you're trained to look at what moves. And when, so when you're underlining the words with your finger, your eyes are being pulled through the information as opposed to your attention being pulled apart. The second reason why you want to use your finger while you read is children do it. Children naturally will use their finger while they read until they're taught not to. 
Or if there's a toddler, and here's an example, if you have a toddler and you take out your keys and shake the keys in front of the toddler and say, look at my keys, look at my keys, what's the toddler going to do? going to reach out and grab the keys because in order for the toddler to feel like they see them, they have to touch them because that's, it's hardwired. It just like, so another reason why is adults do it. So your eyes are attracted to motion. Second reason is children do it. Third reasons you do it. Like most people will not use their finger while they read. But if I ask you to count the number of lines you just read in 60 seconds, a hundred percent of people will do what? They'll start pointing, right? One, two, three, four, because you're using a visual pacer. So why not use that when you're actually reading? And the last reason why you want to use your finger while you read, it's how your nervous system is set up. Certain senses work very closely together. Like, have you ever tasted a great tasting peach before? Mm-hmm. Like something right off the vine or something right off the farmer's market. Like in actuality, you're not tasting the peach. Your tongue's not capable of tasting what a peach tastes like. You're actually smelling the peach, but your sense of smell and your sense of taste are so closely linked that your mind can't tell the difference. It could tell the difference when you're sick and your nose is congested. What does food taste like when you're, when you're congested? Yeah, you can't really taste it or it tastes quite bland. Right, exactly. Everything is bland because your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked. As your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked, so are your senses of sight and your sense of touch. That people who use their finger while they read will literally say they feel more in touch with their reading. They just feel more connected to their reading because they're using that sense, much like the child who grabs the keys because to see it, they need to touch it. In fact, when somebody loses their sense of sight, when they go blind, how do they read? Mm, touch. Yeah, through touch, through Braille, right? And so that's the importance of being able to use your physical touch while you read. So I, I challenge everybody listening to this to use their finger or a pen, a highlighter, a mouse on a computer as a visual pacer. And you'll find you'll have not only greater speed, 25-50%, but you'll also have greater focus. Greater focus. Because again, Lack of focus is a big challenge for people for reading speed and comprehension and also back skipping. When you're using your finger while you read, you don't have that same regression because most people back skip and regress unconsciously. But when you're using your finger, you don't do that anymore. So I challenge people to, to be able to experiment with that. And do you just use your finger down the side or more underneath each line? Go underneath each line. Literally not, not down the page because if you go down the page, Traditional speed reading will take their finger and just go right down the page or make like an S form, like shape of an S or a Z. But the problem is you miss big parts of what you're reading because your peripheral vision can only take in maybe two or three words, right to what's to the left and to the right. So that's why people only get the gist of what they read because if you use your finger straight down, that's all you're going to see. But I'm saying just underline the words that you would normally read. Don't skip anything. And that number will be faster than without it. Mm. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for these tips. I'm definitely going to be trying them and I'll let you know how I go. But I'd love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, what is one book that you would choose? 
So this is a great question. <laughs> Somebody where I am right now, I'm in a room literally wall to wall covered in books and books are my very best friends. And so there's so many great books out there. I would say Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck is a must read for everybody. It basically talks about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And what I would say is what's so important for anybody at any age, a child or an adult, is to know that our potential is not fixed. And it shows you just how fluid intelligence and growth and your internal superpowers really could be, regardless of your age or your background. So it's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Great. Thank you for that. We'll link to that in the show notes as well as all of your books and programs and everything. So anyone who wants to check that out, you can just head to the show notes. But I'd love to hear now, I am obsessed with hearing about how people prime themselves for the day and how they set themselves up. Do you have a particular morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? Absolutely. And so I believe, like many people, in order to win the day, you have to win the first hour of the day. And first you create your habits and then your habits create you. And so I have videos that have been seen by millions of people online, YouTube, if you just search Jim Quick Morning Routine. And it was also the most popular episode we've ever done on our podcast. But I would say a few things I do. First thing in the morning, when I wake up, I remember my dreams. So I remember the six steps I talk about remembering my dreams. I do that very first thing. The second thing I do in my morning routine is I make my bed. So the difference between my morning routine and Oprah's and Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss's and other people that have published theirs is mine are all geared to jumpstart your brain. So I remember my dreams because I get all those, those creations and the creativity and the inventions and all that, my thoughts together. Second thing that I do is make my bed. And the reason why it's good for your brain is there's a momentum to success and how you do anything is how you do everything. And the science of success says that you could build on success. And so if you can make your bed in a couple minutes and you do it with excellence, then you could build on your, that's your creating momentum. And so you start to train yourself to be excellent in other ways. That's why they do it like that in the military. And the other benefit is when you come home at night and you go back to bed, you come full circle to success. Another thing I do every single morning is I brush my teeth. And you're like, Jim, so what? Everybody brushes their teeth. But I, my brain, I do it. I brush my teeth with the opposite hand. And the reason why I do it is because a lot of memory and learning is all about the art of learning is the art of attention, the art of presence, the art of remembering someone's name, the art of reading faster is being present. And I feel like when you brush your teeth with the opposite hand, what it's training you to do first thing in the morning is to be present because in order to do it correctly, you can't be in the future or in the past, or you can't be thinking about the bills. You have to be focused on it. But the other reason you brush your teeth with the opposite hand, there were these studies done by Dr. Lawrence Katz with seniors. He wanted to find out how to keep aging the elderly, their brains alive. And a lot of the techniques had to do with eating or brushing your teeth with the opposite hand because it challenged the other side of your brain because one part of your brain controls the opposite side of your body, but it's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street that as your body moves, your brain also grooves. 
Another thing I do every morning is a tall glass of water because people don't realize that your brain is just like your body because your body, your brain is part of your body. 70 plus percent is made of, out of water. And when you sleep, you lose a lot of water through respiration and perspiration. So you want to hydrate. I also do a set of something for my second brain, which is my gut, which is everyone's gut, their second brain. You have a high level of nerve cells there. And so you want to be able to, I had some people do probiotics, some people do kefir, some people do kimchi probiotics in the morning. I also do, the next thing I do is I do some exercise, three minutes. And this there's a study done in Appalachian State University, and they had three groups of people, and they had them exercise at 7 a.m., some another group of people exercise at 1 p.m., and another group exercise at 7 p.m. So 7 a.m., 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. wanted to find out what was the best for both weight loss and sleep. And they found across the board that the group that exercised at 7 a.m. got better results in terms of weight loss and also sleep quality. And so I'm not saying you, you have to do your full workout at 7 a.m., but if you just for three minutes got your heart rate going and you so you you did some high intensity, you know, jumping jacks, push-ups, burpees, Something for three minutes to get your heart moving first thing in the morning is good. So you don't have to do your whole workout. You could do a workout in the afternoon, but get three minutes in to get the blood flow going. Another thing I do is I take a cold shower and people are listening saying, okay, I love this conversation. I loved you up till this point, <laughs> but cold showers, the reason why I do it is a number of reasons. Wim Hof has been a friend of mine for the past six years. I just had him on my show recently and he's the Iceman and we're talking about the power of cold therapy. Cold helps to reset your nervous system. It helps to lower inflammation, which is very important because inflammation leads to a lot of challenges, physical challenges and, and mental obviously as well, because everything is connected in systems. And the other reason why I take a cold shower is because you want to train yourself to do hard things. Because in life, really a lot of it has to do with showing up for yourself. And if you need to be able to prepare, like I remember I was working with Will Smith on a movie and I help actors speed read scripts and memorize their lines. And this particular movie years ago was shooting at night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I was there, I was just, I was talking to him. It was like 3 a.m. I was like, Will, how do you prepare to go on set, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning? And he was like, Jim, I don't have to get ready. I stay ready. And I just thought that was so insightful that I don't have to get ready. I stay ready because what you practice in private, you're rewarded for in public. What you practice in private, you're rewarded for in public. And the work you do when no one's looking is what shows up. And I think by taking a cold shower and training yourself to deal with difficult situations, when you need to be in a situation where you need to perform and it's uncomfortable, maybe you're scared of public speaking or you need scared to make that sales call or talk to that person or whatever is uncomfortable, how, going back to making your bed, how you do anything is how you do everything. And to the degree you could build grit, meaning getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like that's why, you know, maybe you take an ice bath or cold shower because it expands what you could do in other areas. So I take a cold shower for that reason. From there, I make a, a brain power smoothie, which is a lot of the ingredients that we went through. I bet most people remember most of those 10 ingredients. You know, I put it into a blender. I put in avocado. After that, I put in blueberries, I put in some green leafy vegetables, 
you know, I can put in a little bit of oil, like coconut oil, MCT oil. If I'm not using olive oil, put a little dark chocolate. What I won't put in is salmon. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little gross. But, you know, I make a brain power smoothie and then I journal. I did a whole episode on proper note-taking because most people don't take notes the right way or journal the right way. And so I have a whole process, but I think it's very important. I mean, just think about the journals of geniuses. You know, when you think about like Madame Curie or, or Einstein or Edison or Disney, I mean, those journals are priceless. Leonardo da Vinci. And is it, I have a question for everyone. Do you think it's because they were geniuses that they were journaling all the time? Or maybe because they were journaling all the time, that they became quote unquote geniuses. And I think journaling is something that if you're, you know, it's, if you're living your life, putting your, your thoughts on the paper, whether you're a writer and you publish them or not, is something extremely valuable. So those are just some of the, probably half of the things I do. Maybe you don't do everything every single morning because you have kids and you have traveling and you have deadlines, but you know, it's always whatever you could do to prime your brain in the morning. So you get off on the right foot, what I never do is just kind of wake up and go about my day. Because the worst thing people do in the morning, I just talked about like 10 things I do proactively for my brain. The worst thing you could do for your brain, in my opinion, is touch your phone. And again, I'm losing people who are listening to this right now. But as your brain coach, I'm telling you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. All the studies show that when you pick up your phone first thing in the morning, when you're in this relaxed state of awareness, they call it an alpha state where you're highly suggestible, it's a brainwave state. When you pick up your phone, you're rewiring your brain for two things. Number one, you're rewiring your brain to be distracted. When you're flipping through your phone and you're swiping around, you're scrolling around, every like, share, comment, cat video, whatever it is, you get a dopamine flood. And it goes along the learning motivation receptors of your nervous system. And that's why you're addicted to your phone. And it's training you to have very low concentration span, low attention span. And you're always looking for the next thing because you're training, you're hardwiring your brain to do that. But the second reason you don't want to pick up your phone first thing in the morning, not only is it rewiring your brain for distraction, it's training your brain to be reactive. And that's dangerous. If you are listening to this still, this conversation, you're a special person because you complete things and you have a vision for your life, but you cannot have a vision for your life without owning that day. And you don't own that day if the first thing you're doing is giving up your sovereignty to your phone because you're reacting to things. You're training your nervous system, your soul to be reactive to everything around it on that phone. You know this, you get a text message, a voicemail, an email, a message, and you could just ruin your whole day, hijack your whole day, put you in a bad mood. And you're training your brain to fight fires. You know, my, my friend Brendan Burchard says, your inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life, right? I mean, that, that's powerful. So if you just wake up and just start reacting to everyone else's agenda, then you're training yourself just to put out fires. And then you're a thermometer. You're not a thermostat, mm-hmm. right? A thermometer reacts to everything. But a thermostat sets a goal. It sets a temperature. It sets a dream. It sets a vision. And the environment raises right? It rises to be able to get to that same level. And so I don't touch my, I, for me, I wake up, I write down fresh three things I want to accomplish today professionally, three things I want to do for myself personally, just six things, right? Three things personally, three things professionally. And then I don't touch my phone until I get one of those things done, right? Because I want to build something. I want to build, I want to have a, I have a mission, right? For my mission, I grew up with the brain, the boy with the broken brain. And so I want to leave no brain left behind. 
And so that's my mission and that's my, that's my legacy, right? Through shows, through my videos, through online courses and everything. But I can't build that, you know, with, if I have to just kind of react to everything else, mm. the most successful people in the world, they have certainly have a to-do list, but they also have a not to-do list. And I would say on the top of your not to-do list is checking your phone the first hour of the day. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I don't open my phone. So mine is on airplane mode until I've, I'm the same as you, I write down my three MITs, so my most important tasks. But I love the idea that you have three for your business and three for your personal. What are some of the examples of the personal ones that you'd want to get done that day? What would that, an example of that be? And they don't have to be huge things, but I go backwards because I believe, you know, the second book I would recommend back in school besides mindset is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by my mentor, Dr. Stephen Covey. These are the habits of the most effective people, you know, that walk the planet. And one of the habits is sharpen the saw, going back to speed reading. If you have a lot of wood to cut, sharpen your saw first instead of last, because a lot of people are suffering and struggling because they're cutting a lot of metaphorical wood i.e. their to-do list without a good skill set. But if you can learn how to speed read first and you have all these books to read, then all the books after would become easy, right? But another habit of highly effective people is put first things first, meaning I believe that the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Again, the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. And so for me, when I wake up, I work backwards. And so I know my life's purpose. I know what's most important to me, love, growth, contribution, adventure. And I think about like, when I come home tonight and people ask me, my loved ones ask me, how was your day? I want to say like, it was awesome. I crushed it today. Today was amazing. I don't leave it to like luck. I hope today's going to be great because I know what's going to has to happen. So then I work backwards from there. Now on my personal goals, it could be just some, it could be something big, like a personal accomplishment, or it could be something that's very minute, but it's important, like something for self-care because people think that they have to do the big things all the time, but it's little things done consistently become big things. A lot of my self-care are those 10 things I shared with you earlier in this conversation you know, eating good food, managing my thoughts, moving and exercising every single day, getting a good night's sleep, you know, going to bed by a certain time, reading for my 45 minutes that, that day, you know, doing my meditation practice that I, that I do. So a lot of it has to do with self-care, mm. self-love. It's not selfish, but a lot of people in our community, they're there for everybody else, their clients, their friends, their family. They're the ones people go to, and then they become martyrs because they're not taking care of them themselves. Mm, absolutely. And do you think it's still detrimental if you get up like I do? I get up and I do my, you know, brush my teeth and wash my face. And one of the first things I do is meditate, but I grab my phone to use the timer. It's still on airplane mode. But what I've noticed is like, I still feel quite icky about that. So yeah. I'm going to try and get like a meditation hourglass where I don't have to actually touch my phone. Do you think that still affects you? I, I, I do. I don't think it affects you as much because it's on airplane mode and everything. But psychologically, what the studies mm. are showing, even having the presence of a phone on a dining room table, even if it's off, creates anxiety for people. Just Absolutely. the presence because it's an anchor. 
You know what I mean? It's a visual anchor or trigger to that device. And so I, I, I'm a big proponent of people want to be really protective of their time in the morning to put their phone in another room or out of sight, especially at the dinner table, you know, at the, when we're having meals, because that, that's been shown to, to raise anxiety levels and then replace it with something analog, like a $7 clock you could get online. You know, that's battery powered, but I would prefer that. But I mean, obviously if it's on airplane mode and you're using it because you're using a a Headspace app or something, then the technology is just part of our lives. I'm not saying it's, it's people should, I like the convenience of technology, but the four things that it's affecting the most, I talk about this a lot is, and this is the reason why my work, you know, I'm so passionate about my work is there, there are four supervillains that are affecting our families and they weren't there previous generations. Digital overload, right? Too much information, too little time. It's leading to information anxiety, higher blood pressure, compression, leisure time, more sleeplessness, like all these health issues because there's too much information. We're drowning information. So that's information anxiety, information fatigue syndrome, but it's digital overload. And that's why I teach people how to read faster, how to learn faster. The second enemy, if you will, is digital distraction right? These digital devices have got us hardwired to not have any concentration. That's why I teach a program called Quick Focus. Like how do you regain and master your focus and get things done? Third issue is digital dementia. Digital dementia is where we're so dependent on our smart devices. It keeps our calendars, our to-dos, it does simple math. I mean, think about how many phone numbers you knew growing up, <laughs> like all of them, right? How many phone numbers do you memorize? Can you remember now? Like one. <laughs> Exactly. Because, and not, and here's the thing, I love technology because I don't want to memorize 500 phone numbers, but we've lost the ability to remember one. Somebody gives you a phone number, a pin or whatever. We can't even hold that in our mind. And we used to be able to, that's digital dementia. Our over-reliance on technology is crippling our mind because our brain is like a muscle. It's use it or lose it. And so I like how it's convenient, but it's also crippling. So digital overload, digital distraction, digital dementia. And the last digital issue that I'm concerned about is digital depression, meaning everybody, because we're all linked into each other on social media, I love it because I, people are finding family members, you know, like that they didn't even know that they had, that they're keeping up with their, you know, their friends that they don't talk to and they see they get to share those moments. They're using it for inspiration and education. I love that powerful aspect of it, the light side of technology and social media. But on the other side, I mean, people are spending way too much time on social media. You know, and, and the problem is, is everyone's, what digital depression is, is everyone's comparing their life to the highlight trailer, highly filtered, curated, you know, Instagram that everyone puts on, you know, and that's not everyone's life. That's just a highlight of their life. And people are getting, you know, this high levels of depression, not feeling enough, insecurities, and it's just, it's not real. And that's the other thing. When you pick up your phone first thing in the morning and you're like, comparing yourself to other people, comparison is, is the enemy to, to growth and progress. Like you should, nobody should care about the opinions and expectations of other people because you can literally go broke buying into other people's expectations. If you fuel your life on the, on the expectations, good or bad of other people, you're going to run out of gas. And so what I would say, going back to this, is there's one lesson I've learned from all these people that I've worked with high mental achievers is that you and you alone are hundred percent responsible for your life, right? A third book I would recommend to all children or high school students is Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning, you know, that we, we control, you know, what we focus on, we control what things ultimately mean and no one else does. And I would say that I'm very concerned with 
that effect also, you know, in terms of what people are capable of. So that's why, you know, I've dedicated my life, much like yourself, to this thing called transcending. I want, I want transcendence for people, just like you talked about the film. You know, transcendence for me is transcend, end the trance, end this mass hypnosis done through marketing and media that says we're broken, that we need to be fixed, you know, that we're not enough. And I'm, I'm here to say that everyone listening to this, especially if you're still listening to this, that you are more than enough, you know, and that everything that's happened to you has got you to this point right now. And it's never, the goal is never perfection, it's just progress. And little things you do every single day add up to big things. So you don't have to make this, this you know, after this conversation, you don't have to make this like a complete lifestyle change. Just do one little thing. Just say, hey, I'm going to read five minutes today, you know, or I'm going to journal for five minutes today, or I'm going to try this little, like, you know, underlining these words, things, or I'm going to change my, had this one food brain food into, into my diet, or I'm just going to try to go to bed by 1030 tonight instead of 1130. Little things add up to big things. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have three little quick rapid fire questions. Do you have time for them? Let's do it. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing. Yeah, I would, I would wake up every single morning. I would spend two minutes just being grateful go through an exercise because my question, my thought experiment for everybody for your health is this, is what if you only had tomorrow? The only things you would have tomorrow in your life are the things you expressed gratitude for today. And I think it's a great exercise. If you don't feel wealthy, you feel wealthy instantly because think, count all the things you have that money can't buy and just take two, three, four minutes to feel that. Mm-hmm. I love that. What's one thing we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. So I think leaders are readers. I think the greatest source of wealth is found between our ears and an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. So I would, I would do the 30 minutes of reading something brand new that puts you out of your comfort zone for your wealth in all areas, all the treasures of your life. I love it. And what is one thing we can do today for more love in our life? Okay, this is an easy one. I would say if you want greater love in your life is to do a practice that demands you to have love for yourself. And it's easy for people to say that because we've all heard this stuff, you know, because what I would say is do something for yourself that you would do for a loved one. Because I think a lot of people are looking for love to fill this hole and nothing is going to fill the yearning that your soul has from an, coming from the outside. And I feel like self-love, just like self-confidence or self-esteem starts with you. And you can only love somebody as much as you love yourself. So I would practice loving the person in the mirror who's been through so much and is still standing. Mm, beautiful. Jim, this has been so amazing and insightful and you've inspired me so much. So I want to thank you for for all of the work that you're doing in the world and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us today. And I'm a massive believer in service. So I'd love to know, this is my last question for you, how can I and the listeners serve you today? Thank you, first of all, for this conversation. And I would challenge everybody. I believe that we're not only here to make a dollar, but also to make a difference. 
And my mission, as I mentioned to you, because I grew up with the broken brain, is to build better, brighter brains. And so sharing that message to people is, is everything for me. So what I would love for people to do is to take a screenshot of this podcast, listen to it over again if you need to, but take a screenshot and then tag both of us onto your post, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, and share this. And the benefit you'll get from this is, number one, it'll help me share our mission, helping other people. But more than that, if you could share your biggest aha from this conversation. Remember I began this conversation with saying when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. If you take a screenshot of this episode, tag Melissa, tag me at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, you just have to spell it right, and share your biggest aha from this conversation, your biggest takeaway. And then when I see it, you know, it's great because I get to respond to them and reply. And I'll repost some of my favorite, you know, ahas also as well. So that could share it and, and, and paid forward. But the biggest thing that would help this is connect with me on social media because I would love, you know, for you to go deeper in my work. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we have a podcast. It's called Quick Brain. My last name is really quick. I didn't change it to do this. It's my father's name, my grandfather's name. But it's called Quick Brain. It's only 10, 15 minute episodes. Brain hacks for busy people and learn faster, achieve more. Episodes on how to learn a language, how to read faster, how to get rid of subvocalization, how to change your habits how to remember people's names. You go to quickbrain, kwikbrain.com, and it's free. And you could just enjoy it. And if you like it, I guess my ask would be that you share it with somebody that you love. And that would be the greatest gift is to be able to, to light up. I feel like our brains aren't like a cup that needs to be filled, but more of a spark that needs to be lit. And I feel like we can light up other people also as well. That if I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar, no big change. We each have the same dollar. If I share a new idea with you and you share a new idea with me, all of a sudden we have two brand new ideas. And I believe those things, that ideas in action could transform the world. I guess connect on social, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all that good stuff, Twitter, and share your big ahas and uh, enjoy our show. And if you got value from it, please share it with someone you love. Mm, thank you so much, Jim. This has been awesome. I have absolutely loved this conversation so much and I cannot wait to share it with the people that I love. I'm going to be sending it to my husband To I have a 12-year-old bonus son and I'm going to be sending it to him and getting him to listen. So thank you again so much for sharing so openly and honestly and for all the work that you do in the world. I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect and I just love and adore you. And you are such a beautiful person. Your heart is so big and pure. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. I loved today's episode so much. I was taking some notes. I got so much out of it. And what a beautiful human being, such a heart of gold. Before we jumped on the episode, he was just so loving and kind and generous and so giving with his time. I'm just so grateful for today's conversation and I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Jim and I mention in today's episode, 
you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 157. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before we go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me that review right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I don't think you realize how much I love doing this show for you and interacting with you guys on Instagram. It is the best. And I love people like you that want to be the best version of yourself. And I want to honor you for showing up today. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from hearing this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media. I love seeing them on social media. You can email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.